Welcome to VIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver Newsroom. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. And my guest today is the man behind the Winter Olympic Games that came to British Columbia 10 years ago. John Furlong is uh, likely still catching up on his sleep from that period, but I thought he'd be coherent enough now to discuss things. Uh, we've got, got you out of that, uh, you know, lapsed state. Um, good to have you here. Thank you. Uh, I want to focus on a wide range of things, you know, on these memories uh, that are that are pretty good, and then some of the legacy uh, from it. Um, but even take me preceding the games. Uh, <laughs> what was the biggest obstacle the to biggest. getting them? To getting them? Um, well, you know, I think to, to, uh, were the one of the, to getting the games. Oh, the biggest obstacle to getting the games in the very beginning was I think we had this view at the very beginning that you know everyone's just going to vote for Vancouver. I mean, look at the city; it's gorgeous, and you know when you come here, it's just addictive and. And trying to get everyone's mind around, this is actually a real competition. And it's not just all about facilities and systems and reputation. This is it's very political and you really have to really be ready for a grinding. You know, if you ask me today, which of these processes was the most personally challenging? The bid was just so much more, uh, you know, internal, a difficult, painful than delivering the games. And the games were tough. But the thing is, when you have the games, you have the games. When you're bidding, you don't know till one second is left in the process that you're actually alive and you're getting the games. So it was pretty challenging. Getting that and then realizing we have to play flat out there's yeah. we can take nothing for granted and, yeah. who, who, and so, who are the competitors again who, who? so it started out with eight countries so yeah. there was yeah. china spain yugoslavia you know, um france you know switzerland and so on and, and austria and, and korea and us and someone else but, good that you still remember that that's that's like, yeah it's and like i remember years, meeting those 17 years ago i remember yeah. i remember meeting those guys and i remember meeting the delegation from china that came they bid against us and you know it was just like when they came to hear the first presentation of how you do this, like it was, it looked to me like they had just um, walked inside Disneyland and they saw this absolutely stunning thing that they had not kind of got their mind around. I mean, uh-huh. I think there is a bit of an attitude when you go into it at the beginning of it. Well, how hard can it be? And it's brutally hard. Yeah, and so, yeah. but getting to understand it and understanding how people vote and and understanding the members and and real and the, the big goal for us was to try to get to a place where we had enough members who were willing to vote for us, but we were also trying to create an environment inside the IOC that there wasn't a campaign against us. In other words, a member's campaign against us. So to be a likable bid, to be respected, recognizing that a lot of people wouldn't vote for us Mm because they'll vote on regional lines, cultural lines, and so on. So that was a a goal and a strategy. And we also realized that for us to win, we had to beat everyone in Europe or we were going to lose. Right. That was not well known to the media because, you know, the, at the, at, in the early days that, you know, how this would break down. And so it wasn't it wasn't appropriate to say it either because kind of arrogant to kind of say, well, if we beat Europe, we're going to win. Well, but, your bid was almost a metaphor for the country, right? I mean, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're somewhat apologetic for our place in the world. Right, so yeah. you weren't really going to get your elbows up with the competitors in a true sense and and characterize them or vilify them yeah yeah well it's it, you know and you've touched on something that i think that was quite magical about vancouver it was the difference maker for us in the bid phase where we actually took the position of saying to the ioc we believe that the olympic games can be a game changer for canada 
not just the city, not mm. just the region, mm. that this can be nation building for us. And we think that the Olympic Games will give us an opportunity to, you know, have a conversation with the rest of the world on our own terms for people to get to know what it is to be Canadian, the difference between a Canadian and an American and so on. And it allowed us to tell a different story than everyone else was telling because everyone was focused on venues, transportation, so on. We were talking about big picture vision. I don't think anybody doubted we could do it. But is what will we have at the end when if they do do it? And do you remember? Was, yeah, sorry. Do you remember your first meeting? Do you remember your first? You know, the first time they come to you and say, "John, there's a job." The meeting with who? I, I don't know who you met with. I mean, well, so like, well, actually, who, I do remember the first meeting, and it was not about the Winter Games. I was the chairman of Sport BC at the time, and the meeting was to discuss whether we would bid for the Summer Games. Uh-huh. And there had and there had been a few meetings about this, and some people had been pulled together, and it became really clear really quickly that this was nonsense. We could never pull that off, and we could never rally. The there kind about of what six times resources. larger, six yeah, eight times multiple larger. times yeah, larger, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, the, we and so the trip to do that would have been much much tougher, and it was also very clear that if you take the sports side of that, and even if you could dream your brains out and and see the summer games here for the business community and tourism it was a bit of a Mm non-starter it would get right in the way of our traditional and tourism and business generally saw well if the olympics come in the quiet time it'll be a huge boost for the city then so Mm -hmm. all of those stars were lining up and we quickly slipped from summer to winter which goes to tell you that the people thinking about this at the beginning were more thinking about what the games the games could do for the country and the city as opposed to, you know, wouldn't it be great and thinking about the logistics and the venues and the sports side of it. They were thinking more about the higher power of this. So mm. summer, winter, whatever, didn't matter. They just wanted to do a good thing. And those early meetings were interesting. And I, I have one recollection that really sticks out in my mind, and it was the one around everyone will vote for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to this and, you know, I was, uh, as I said, I was not, I would say I was not a tier one volunteer at the time. I was probably more like tier two. I was helping out. I felt I had an obligation to help out. But this conversation started and I was listening to it and I went, I think this is nonsense. And so I said, you know, I, I don't know where we get this idea that people are just going to push the Vancouver button here. You know, I grew up in another city. And I have to tell you that everyone that lives there think they live in the best city in the world. So this is what you're up against. And they're all going to come with big stories and great visions and fight like a dog to win this. So we need to recognize it's all in front of us. We're getting nothing for free here. And, And that to me was kind of the first step of getting past that and realizing we need to kind of take the Canadian personality, drive it right into our project and go and tell the world a story. Yeah, and, uh, define a little bit of, of what that narrative needed to be at that time. And, and, and I want to know also, how did it shift by the time you got the games? The key message was always the same. And that was, I remember our, my first meeting with Jack Poole was on September 11, 2001 in his office, mm. the day of the bombing. Oh, dear, yeah. And it was the day we aligned on the vision that we were going to try to put this at the disposal of the country and so on. So that was, you know, uh, early part of the story. And that was what we said and how we said it uh, all along. But a key part of selling Vancouver to the world was... Um, there was a kind of a noticeable uh, distance between the United States and the Olympic movement in general. The relationship wasn't terrific. And we had this feeling that the IOC might very much like to be in North America and have all of the American assets and attributes 
but not actually be um, under the kind of, I guess, the thumb of the U.S. Olympic Committee at I the see. time. That was a theory we had, right or wrong, who knows. But we wanted to present ourselves as uniquely Canadian with all of those assets. But in a country like Canada, where we, we are naturally humbled, we were welcoming, very diverse. And we have this belief that the Olympic Games can really do something profound here that may be, I mean, Here's the thing. At the end of the games, Jacques Rogue's first phrase at one of the press conferences on the on the day after it all closed, he said, the Olympic Games can never go back from this. Mm-hmm. To me, that was a real key point about, um, you know, what the games had actually achieved on, a, on the ground in Vancouver. You know, people were in the streets in Montreal and Newfoundland and Halifax and Calgary and everywhere. And it was clear that it mattered to every citizen that it be successful. They all yeah. felt like they owned it. Keep, and, keep, uh, keep on that. You know, how would you describe what the games did 10 years later now? What, what, what do they do? For the city, of course, but yeah. there are other cities all around us that had facilities. Of course, up in Whistler, lots of facilities. And then across the country, uh, you know, a, a, a rapt attention of this for a period of a couple of weeks. Yeah, I are, think you, it, are you able to kind of understand? Yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm probably not the right guy to probably be the one to answer that question. But I, what I hear from people and what I think happened is that, you know, we became real believers in this idea that we can do these grand things together. I remember having arguments with very seasoned politicians along the way about this idea that we had that this needs to be about every Canadian. This needs to touch every life. And being questioned about how outrageous that sounds and how, you know, almost, you know, you know, mystical it sounds and saying to them that, you know, this is this is the last place you'd expect to have to make this argument with people who are elected to public office that Canadians are dying to hold hands and be part of something like this. And so what we were, you know, so this idea at the at the beginning that we'd be nation builders, at the end, how it played out was that every Canadian took a spot, like everyone was on the team. As Jack used to say, there's room on the stage for all of us. And I think what the IOC saw on that was a different pathway forward. I mean, London followed that very much like we did and saw mm-hmm. this as a terrific way to bring the outer regions of Great Britain to the Olympic Games and share it with the rest of the country. Now, we made a few decisions along the way that aided that along. I mean, we made a hard decision inside of Vancouver 2010 to become active financial supporters of the Olympic team, never done before by an organizing committee. We raised that money because we thought if the Canadian team that comes to Vancouver is not strong and we don't put up a fight, and we repeat our performance of Montreal and Calgary, we don't win a gold medal, the country will look at this and go, please tell me this isn't happening. That, yeah. You know, this is a mistake. I it's- wanted to ask, do you think we would have a vastly different attitude about 2010 if oh, if, I, if I, we'd finished sixth in every event? Dramatically so. Yeah. I think, you know, on the last day of the Games, you know, the 14th gold medal was a key part of the closing chapter. But, at the, you know, Vancouverites probably would have given the sum total of all the good things that happened, would have probably walked away and thought, you know, it was a fun time. But the rest of the country would have said, you know, what's for lunch? They would have just been not, you know, they would have thought, you know, again, we sort of failed to reach that level. And so the point was to go toe to toe. And what was really interesting for me, uh, Kirk, in all the years that I've been involved in sport, I've seen Olympic funding go up and down like this over all those years. 
And when the Vancouver Games ended, there was this feeling in the sport world that we may see the funding now decline. Mm -hmm. We've had this run. And the prime minister, to his great credit, um, following the Olympic Games of Vancouver, made the comment uh, as we were kind of, you know, getting ready to move on to say that winning was in our national interest. It is clear that this matters to Canadians and we're going to keep doing it. And so, so today, so on the podium was yes, and we leapt from winter into summer, and so today we are a top three powerhouse in the winter, and in the summer we're top ten. Well, when you think about that, you know we're like number forty for population in the world, and we're up there now with the powerhouses in the summer, from starting from way back. And in the winter, we're a contender. We could be first, second, or third at at the Olympic Games. And every game since Vancouver, we've gotten better. So the program, which is everybody wants to know what it is we're doing in there, what are we cooking for dinner? Um, And and so I think that was a real revelation about the power of sport and if you get it right and how 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 nations will come together around the athletes. But without that piece... I don't know what the country would have to say. I do think that that piece and this rallying the country together will always be used as part of the argument as to why we should do this. It's yeah. just good for the country spirit. You but know? it took us out of our comfort zone, didn't it? It did, yeah. Very much so. This was more like what we would see in the United States with the U.S. Yeah, it was, it was not easy to kind of be strident and, you know, cheering. And, well, you when know, you say you're going to own the podium... Yeah, that's that's a statement. Exactly, and then you walk into a venue like curling, and which is one of the great venues of the Olympics, and uh, you know people are doing the wave. And curling, for God's sake, you know, in curling it wasn't cool to say a word like like it was yeah. number one ob- obligation you have when you go in the building is to keep quiet. Yeah. And so this was what what was going on, and people were embracing this whole thing, but doing it in a way that people looking in from the outside thought it was kind of cool and joining in. And what Canadians did that added very much to the to the feeling on the ground was they embraced everybody. It wasn't like they, you know, they kind of dished anyone else. They embraced all of the performances. They obviously went there to help Canada be successful, but they didn't kind of dismiss all of the other performances that were going on. So in a way, they gave the rest of the world, a, you know, a, a big hug, but they... They were absolutely the difference maker in getting Canada into that first And because they were in our backyard, um, it felt to me in witnessing the games that an awful lot of sports were suddenly validated in the eyes of Canadians, and their athletes probably felt, first of all, that they were recognized, maybe for the first time. And the feeder systems, you know, the next... You know the, yeah. the the next kids on the hills yeah. Yeah. Uh, with with snowboards were going to feel, well, you know, actually this is a this is a good thing. I can do this, right. and I can rise and gain international yeah. respect for what I'm doing. I mean, it had a had a whole other charm to it that way. It did, and and listen, when you think of the next Winter Games, which is in Beijing. Almost the entire team, give or take a few, will be dreamers from 2010. Exactly. Young people who woke up in the morning and saw uh, Joanny Rochette win that bronze medal or the gold medal on Sunday or the women's gold medal in hockey and say, I want to be one of those and started down that road. And they are now living that dream, which is, of course, the whole point of it all. And yeah, yeah, so I do think that all worked quite well. Is that the biggest piece of the legacy, do you think? 
Well, for sport, it is, you know, yeah. huge. I think there are other legacies for Vancouver beyond that. I mean, I think, I think for sport, I think Vancouver was a stepping off point because sport has been going uh, cap in hand to the government for decades, asking for support. Mm-hmm. And, and has always, there's always been this suspicion that we'd never act together and that we would come and ask and have a program and launch it. And we'd do okay, but we weren't kind of really getting, people felt we were, we were you know, not really hitting it at the level that they expected of us. We weren't winning gold medals at home and, and so on. And so I think, you know, what happened with this was it just kind of made uh, believers out of everybody. And, and, of course, it changed fundamentally our view of, um, you know, the power of all of this and what, you know, what happens when you give uh, athletes a, a, ch- a fighting chance, give them the tools and so It on. also, I think, opened up uh, the wallets of corporate Canada in a, in a massive well, way, right? Listen, you know, when we, when at Vanock, I remember actually it was high drama when the Canadian Olympic Committee came out to see us 2004 and they said, you know, we're, it, the games are going to be ho-hum to the rest of the country if we don't produce a great team. And the problem is we can't do it. And the, and the reason we can't do it is because all the intention's on you. All the money is going to you. You guys are going to partners and they're giving you all their money. They're, everyone's betting the farm on Vancouver 2010. And so, you know, there's a possibility here we could stage these games and disappoint the country. You know, I said, listen to that. And, and first of all, as a sports person, you know, it was, it was an easy argument to make. And I agreed with it. But getting Vanock, who was up to their neck in challenges of its own, to take on the added responsibility of now preparing the Olympic team, that was a tall ask. And I remember uh, going to the board and sitting in front of our board and saying, listen, this is a thing we're talking about. And we have done this study and we have discovered in this study that's going to cost $110 million to prepare the Olympic team over five years. But if we do, we will have the team to beat in Vancouver. But the problem is raising this money is either going to be up to us or it's not going to happen. Mm. And think of it this way. The view out there is that if we don't produce this piece, the rest of the country will see the Olympic Games as just something that they was kind of cool for a few weeks. It will not leave this legacy. Honestly, I thought I was going to get fired. There was an argument in the room. Directors were very annoyed and thinking, you know, how can we get put in this position? You know, we have you enough just, to you do. You were sandbagging him for $110 million. Yeah. Well, well, I think most boards would so be So we cut a deal with the board that we would go to the federal government and tell this story, and we'd split the difference with them, 50-50, 55 each. So we took a plan to Ottawa, a room full of sport executives, Van Ock, Stephen Owen from Vancouver and put to him that this is the secret sauce for Vancouver 2010. Mm. That's the fastest turnaround on a report I've ever seen in 40 years in Canada. And Stephen Owen came back and he said, let this be the test case for this country about whether we have it in us to be this good. Mm. And if we win in Vancouver, then we know we can do it, and maybe we can apply this to the summer. And I took the report and went home with $55 million, and we started. And for the first few years, we were kind of winging it a bit, and then yeah. we got or- got organized. And then, of course, Torino, we hit it out of the park, and then in Vancouver, we, you know, yeah. it was just uh, yeah. fantastic. Everybody looks like a genius now, right? Oh, but, very but, much you so, know, yeah. you were 
kind of hatching something here. We were. Could have been. We were hatching it and trying to figure out, you know, what are the difference makers? We had these secret programs and we had these secret sciences and we had, we were attracting people out there who had these reputations for having this, you know, little tiny idea that we could use and, and. A slider suit that everyone heard about. And everyone heard about it and people were wondering what we were up to. And, you know, so we got a lot of attention and of course the phrase on the podium kind of stuck in a lot of people's throats. Mm-hmm. But it was a message, you know, and I think also, you know, I think the government saw in it a message, we're not messing around. We've actually made a decision, a business decision to go after this the right way. And let's see if we're up to it. And, you know, it worked out. And so today, you know, on the podium is highly sophisticated agency today. They're doing mm-hmm. all kinds of things today they weren't doing in 2010. And the results are getting better and better and better and better. And so, you know, I think it's, I think Canada has done a good thing with this. Yeah. A couple of other legacy issues I think we want to talk about. Um, one is transportation. Uh, how important was it that there was a commitment to widen that dangerous highway uh, heading to Whistler? <laughs> Huge, hugely important. It's interesting, actually, when we um, we were talking about the road because what was going on in, in one area was that people were saying that, you know, the cost of all of this is going up. Well, we'd been talking about the road and we'd been talking about the airport and the train and everything for a long time, but it never really had any momentum going. And I remember Jack sitting, um, talking to government ministers about the road. He said, look, we'll do the bid without the road. You know, if you don't want to do this road, if you don't want to, you know, do what you've been talking about doing for the last 20 years, if you don't want to do that, we'll do, we'll put in the bid without that road. But our chances of winning are going to be diminished huge. You know, it's going to really raise the bar on the degree of difficulty for us if you do that. And so the government decided to get off this 10, 12, 15 year path and fast track that decision and go do that road. And it's fascinating. There was a rumor that went around by, you know, pushed out by one of the other cities that we actually were just talking gibberish about the road. We actually weren't going to do it. And I remember after we got the games, a couple of weeks after um, we got the games, the road work started. And we had a visit from the IOC. And I thought it'd be a cool thing uh, to bring them up to Worcester by helicopter. So we got in the helicopter and we flew over the mountains. We didn't go up by the roadway, we went over the mountains. And on the way up there, they looked at us and said, why are we flying this way to Whistler? And I said, well, because this is more beautiful. And we just thought you'd like to see, you know, the beautiful lakes up here and so on. Yeah, do you think we could fly down the road on the way back and see if you're actually doing what you said you were doing? I said, of course, we can do that. So, of course, we have our meeting in Worcester, and they're all gaga-eyed about the plans up there and happy, and they think everything is going well, and there's signs of progress. And we get in the helicopter to come back, and we fly down the road. And there are four separate construction crews on the road. And I swear that when we landed in Vancouver, they your, thought they were brother, crews we put out brother, for the day. <laughs> that they were, and they were super impressed that we were on it. Well, and, other, you know, other countries might have stage that yeah they but, could well but, you know yeah. canada you wouldn't have gotten away with it yeah and so the road was a, a big deal and you know and i think today it kind of um it was quite interesting because i don't know if you remember but when the when they came to evaluate whether vancouver's bid was serious and solid uh, the commission came to worcester mm. and good guys all of them and the guy who led the commission had my job in norway for lillehammer we became friends Good guy and charismatic, like to be at the microphone, like talking about the games and love love telling Lillehammer stories. And we get into Worcester and a media come around him and like 50 people and they ask him, so, so tell us about the road. 
And he turned to the media, and the first words that came out of him were, it's too far, Twister. And he, as he said it, I remember he, that. I actually remember that. Yeah, and he, yeah. as he said it, he died. Like he just he knew right away it was like throwing a rock right at the organization. And so I kind of tried not to show the body language of disappointment. But you know, and I so I grabbed him aside and said, you know, you have to Gerard, you have to fix this. You have to explain this in a way that people will understand. I mean, there have been longer roads than this, and. Uh, mm-hmm. And I said, so the media are going to write a story tomorrow that's going to go all over the world, that the road is too long. I mean, this is quite a thing for us to have to answer for. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know. We, I think I remember that story. So he, later that day, they interviewed him again. He said, well, you know, you can't interfere. Nature is what it is, you know. And, and I, we're very optimistic that they'll build a good road and they'll have plans and they'll get this done. But it was hanging there. So Dick Ebersold, the head of sports for NBC, he, was, he heard all this. And he was a huge fan of having the games in Vancouver because it, to him it was like having them in New York. Sure, you know? right. And so he, he got interviewed and he, and he was asked about the road. And he said, I'll tell you what's wrong with that road. It's not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, the trip on that road is a, one of the great drives of the world. And, of course, we started to shift the, and the road became, it's a project. How much is it going to cost? Will it be on time? Are good people doing it? And, and it turned out to be quite, quite an asset. But you know what? The interesting thing lost in the transportation the, and the train, of course, was amazing. We didn't actually use the train in our Olympic trans plans. We just thought it was going to be important for people getting around the city. But it was. It, we, we didn't use it for athletes or officials. Well, it wasn't particularly that. stationed near any facilities, well, 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 much of it, anyway. it stopped at the Olympic Village, but we yeah. didn't even stop there. Yeah. It was like security closed yeah. kind of thing. Anyway, so there was that, and then there was the improvements to the airport. All this was going on. But there was a, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a great argument going on in the city about what's their transportation plan? Like, yeah, this course. is stuff they're building, but what's the plan? And they were, like, yelling at us all the time. And, and I kept saying to our guys, you know, we're not going to answer that question until we're sure of it. Because, you know, we, you lose your credibility really fast when you keep changing your position. And so we had a board trade lunch. We'd been in this thinking for a while about what was the secret sauce for transportation in the city. And we made a decision and, uh, on it, and we decided to announce it at the Board of Trade get-together, which was always this big love-in we always had every year. There was about 1,000 people or so there that day, and we came, and we, we tried to give them an uh, you know, inside look at what's going on, what the challenges are, how well we're doing, da 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 and so on. And I said, and I know you're all here to hear about what the transportation plan is for the games. So here it is. We're going to ask the people of the city of Vancouver to park their cars. That's it. <laughs> and I remember there's this giggling in the room and people were going, are you kidding me? Like, what are you talking about? And I said, you see, this is the thing that um, the people of this city have been waiting for seven years to be asked what they need to do to make this work. And this is what they need to do. And we believe they will. They'll celebrate doing this. And we are going to go door to door to door in this city and ask every business leader to commit to this, to have their people work from home, have them carpool, to have them walk to work. And we had a, you know, 25 to 36 percent traffic off the road for the period of the games. I got to work faster, by the way. Yeah. I, I just want everybody yeah, exactly. to know. This, so I, this I became, felt a little guilty so about doing the, it, but I, but I did. Yeah. So yeah. the legacies, I think, and then, you know, I, I heard shortly after the games that the train hit its five-year, you know, numbers in two months. And well, that so, was the other thing. The Canada line was supposed to be a bit of a yeah. ghost train. Yeah, I know. Um, 
not quite. <laughs> no, no, it's it's phenomenal, and and um, we it's, probably it's, probably need like longer stations. Yeah, three yeah. and four cars, not yeah. two cars. Well, and th- we learned a lot about you know how this stuff can really hurt you at other games. I mean, I, I don't know if you recall, but in Salt Lake, when you know Salt Lake had the games after two thousand and one, after the bombings, yeah. and they almost had those games canceled. Exactly. And I remember thinking, you know, they'd done a great job down here, and and we were there and learning. Still, we hadn't got the games yet, and learning and, and a really good job. And there was a good spirit on the ground. But on the day the games ended, we all headed to the airport. And there were eleven hour waits to get on a plane. It was a disaster, a mm-hmm. gong show, and all that good uh, work that had been done. Was getting right. knocked away people were very annoyed missing flights and leaving late and security issues the whole nine yards and i remember standing at the airport saying this we cannot have this happen to no us kidding and we went straight to the airport and uh, i remember meeting with larry berg and saying you know larry it's not just good enough for the airport to be or you need to be a partner you need to have skin in the game here like you need to be a part owner of this solution this cannot happen and they bought in, and the airport was like an Olympic venue. Well, it felt, it, I was going to say, it felt like yeah. a facility. Yeah, it yeah. Felt, felt and totally so like they got in on board. And I remember the day we left, um, whenever when the games were over, I went out to the airport to see people off. And, you know, there was, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people getting out of Vancouver that day. And the airport was just like a well-oiled machine. People were happy. They were giving out drinks and playing music and food. And they really came to play. And it was interesting because when the when the games were over um, and people were kind of thinking back to their memories, I had a phone call from the King of Holland, who's now the King of Holland. At the time, he was the crown, like the Prince of Orange, I guess it was his name. Willem is his name, who became friends. He was on our evaluation commission. And he said, you know, um, I'm, I'm phoning to get permission from you for something. And I said, well, what's that? He said, I'm planning to go and speak to... Uh, uh, some some body that's connected into the European Union about um, you know the 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 kind of systems that you put in place the government authorities and their performance at the Olympics which I consider to be the best I have ever seen and I'd like your permission to be able to go up and say that and, that, and I said but you know by all means he said I thought the airport was just simply a class above anything we have ever seen and some of the other things that you did that are hmm. you know remarkable and um, and so um, you know I. I, that was good to hear because, you know, it's easy for us to say it, but when other people were actually looking at it and saying, yeah. you know, we can learn from them. Yeah. You know. it, it, one other area that I think it bears things, it was, it was an entire neighborhood that now exists that didn't exist before yeah. the games. And, yeah. and, uh, Just below us here. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, you know, not everything went yeah. particularly smoothly, yeah. right? You, you had your hiccups with that one um, around finances and things like that. But, but if you take a look at, um, again, how significant that was, first of all, in establishing the bid, and in conducting the games, how does Olympic Village fit in to the narrative of, of 2010? Well, I think the Olympic Village became a difference maker also in the story of what Vancouver would present. You know, we were pr- prepared to say that we were willing to go onto that piece of property. We had a debate, by the way, about whether we would do it there at UBC. Yes. And, um, and so we had, a, we had this about going onto that piece of property and cleaning it and building this extraordinary, you know, out of this world, you know, 